I hate to ask something of you, but just if you could, uh, let me get through this Sunday morning. Uh, don't share any of the Olympic wrestling results with me. I know many of you are watching on your phones, and uh, I'm just glad you're here. I know it's hard to skip that. No? No, just me. Okay. We've been talking together over the last couple of weeks about what is Paul sharing with this church in 2 Corinthians? What kind of life are they to have? But also even looking back to John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, what do we see? How does his life match that life from 2 Corinthians? Together so far, we we have said what we see here in 2 Corinthians is it is to be a separate or a sanctified life, a set-apart life. If we are followers of Christ, it's a set-apart life. Also, last week we looked at if, if we're in Christ, it is a risking and reaching life. And then we're following these themes up. If you're on YouTube, every day we have like a five to ten minute devotional on our YouTube channel about those themes. So starting tomorrow, we'll pick up this new theme, to follow Christ is. And this isn't the main point of Paul's letter But it's a significant point about why he's writing. So actually dropping down to verse 20, we're reminded of this gift that's being collected for the poor in Jerusalem. So to follow Christ, it is a generous life or it is a giving life. And if you're following along in your sermon notes in your bulletin, you can put that there. To follow Christ is a generous life. Paul's defending his apostleship. This is this is. Him, a whole part of this letter is about that, but a significant part is him reminding them to complete the work that they had started in 1 Corinthians that he had written to them, and then also that tear-stained letter that he had written to them in between these letters that they are to give to the church in Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that church in Jerusalem more. Now, Paul had already set up the parameters for giving. You can go back to second, uh, 1 Corinthians 16.2. He reminded them that giving is to be regular, systematic, and it is to be proportional. In that one verse, regular, on the first day of the week. Systematic, each one of you, meaning everyone's to give, set aside and save. So everyone is to give, and here's the plan for how to give. And then it's proportional, as you prosper. Uh, So he has that threefold pattern there for the kind of giving there to give. And then you can read the rest of chapter 8 and really chapter 9. There's some wonderful reminders about giving. It's not under compulsion, that it's to be out of a cheerful heart and and on and on. So I'll let you go back and do the study there. But this is a real concern for Paul. Church, the mother church is in trouble. And they are in desperate need. And so part of the reason in which we give is to help with Need And so he's asking them to give. And that's, that's something we see at the very beginning, at the heart of our denomination, is Wesley, who had plenty, saying to the church, we all need to be in ministry that ministers to those on the fringes. And we need to be in a giving ministry to bless those. And you find him asking for alms, asking for materials for those who are poor, to those with mental illness, to those who are in prison, and we'll talk more about that in in years to come. But it was interesting to me to bump into this moment in Wesley's journal again, because I had missed this for years about Wesley. He wrote in his journal that the ministry took in 3,000 pounds that particular year. Do you know how much 300,000 pounds is? 
I don't either. But apparently it was a lot of money. The ministry took in 3,000 pounds. You know what Wesley took? 30 pounds. There had come a point in his life where he was being a faithful believer, but there was a woman who had a need, and he realized the way he was living with his salary, he had nothing to offer her. And it changed his life. And he began to live off of 30 pounds from that moment through the rest of his life. The necessities were met, but that's all I need because I need to put this money over here to share, to make sure I can be available to meet a need. That's, now again, that's an extreme thing. My last church where I served, I won't talk about our church, my last church where I served, about a million dollar budget. It would be hard for me to go home and say to Sarah, we're living off of $10,000. It would be hard to do that. But that's what Wesley did. It's that kind of proportion so that, not to be, look what I've done. We'll talk about that next. I just want to help. I want to bless. I want to minister. And so you see this church who has affluence, who has extra. And Wesley's reminding them, just as Paul's reminding this church, how is it you can give? It's a great question. And we, this is what we've been asking throughout this series, and we'll continue to ask, what's the next step? What's your next step so that you might help those who are in need? Our church has been so faithful. I'm so, I'm, I'm encouraged by your faithfulness in giving. But, but as we continue to grow, as you continue to grow in your discipleship, we always want to say, hey, what's that next step? Lord, where, where are you calling me? As I see it in Paul's, Paul's call to this church, that I can use whatever resource I have to be a gift to others. That's, that's a big part of this letter, to remind that church to be a giving and a generous church. But, but really what's at the heart of, and if you're following along in your notes, going back to verse 19, what's, what's at the heart is to follow Christ, to be a Christ follower. It means it is a glorifying life. It's all about giving glory to God. And you can't miss that in this letter. Where would you think you would find the word glory more than any other book of the Bible? If you're thinking about the word glory, what book would that be? It's Isaiah. I think it's triple any other book, which makes sense, right? The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Speaking of these end time scenes or, the, or heavenly scenes, that it's the glory of God. The next book you would guess would be Revelation, the picture of the glory of God in eternity, right? You know the next book? There's three that basically are tied, and this is one of them. You've got Gospel of John, and that whole last section of John's Gospel, chapter 13 through, is what scholars call the book of glory. The end of that gospel giving glory, not just to the Father, but Father, now glorify your Son. And the beauty of Jesus, who's our, the Lamb of God, the bread of life going to the cross, is glorified. So it's glory after glory. And then Paul talking later uh, to the church in Rome, this is the glory of God. But here in 2 Corinthians, it's, it's, it's the third most use of the word glory. And it's interesting how it's used. And I want us to look at that real quick as, as we close. First and foremost, you know that it is for the glory of God. You've, you've heard that passage going back to Isaiah. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give glory to another or my praise to idols. So God alone deserves 
the glory. And that's why you and I take that next step in our giving. That's why you and I take our next step in our sanctification or being separate. That's why you and I take our next step in risking for the gospel and reaching for others. It's to the glory of God. Paul is reminding this church who've taken the eye off the ball in terms of following false doctrines or false teachers or in 1 Corinthians satisfying the lusts of the flesh. It is about God and that is to be the heart of our lives. How can we give glory to God? And it's a great question for us. What's that next step? What's that next step that God might receive the glory in your friendships? They're they're good friendships. But God, I want you to receive glory in how I do friendship. This needs to be my next step. And I know I need to take it. Or in my marriage. My marriage has become about me. What I can get. You know what? I need to take that next step. So my marriage or my parenting or any relationship, it's, it's really to give God the glory. What can happen in my work that it's not about impressing others or so I can get stuff? It's important, but I want my work to shine for the glory of God. What's that next step? Friendships and serving the community in relationships, whatever that might be. What you see throughout uh, 2 Corinthians is this reminder to that church and to us, it's all about the glory of God. I love as you look at the last moments, and it's, it's, look, it's all throughout John Wesley's life. This, that man gave glory to God for everything. It almost gets a little silly. If a cloud covers the sun when it's hot, glory to God. <laughs> if it would look like it was going to rain and it didn't rain and he got to preach, I give God. And, but it's right. I give glory to the sovereign God who made that. So it's all throughout, but you get to his deathbed. And we Methodists say, what's the last thing Jesus, I mean, uh, that John Wesley said? The best of all is God is with us. It's not really the last thing he said. It's almost the last thing he said. And we talk about that a lot. But it's interesting, as he's on his deathbed and he knows it's his end, and people have gathered around him, you know what he mostly talks about? The glory of God. I want to give glory to God. So in those last day and a half or two days, what you see him saying uh, throughout those moments is him singing In front of his friends, all glory to God. Of him quoting, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. Then he sings the song to the Trinity from his deathbed. Then he says, "God, the best of all, God is with us. But then it's after that, that last night, this word. Now, his last word is actually farewell to his friends. He mutters farewell and dies, basically. It's the last word he says. But the word he's trying to get out through the night over and over again, I'll praise. I'll praise. It's glory to God. Glory to God at the heart of our lives. But here's the the blessing that we see in Paul's letter to this church and to us. God says in Isaiah, I will not share my glory with another. Rightfully so. He is the sovereign Lord. You know what we're reminded of in 2 Corinthians? Sure, I'll share my glory with another. I am going to transform you. I've already created you in my image to give you my glory. But chapter 3, I think verse 8 or 18 says, I'm going to transform you from glory to glory. I'm going to let my glory shine through you. And then you get to chapter 9. Because of this gift that you've given, because of the way you're now living as a church, you know what he says to the church there? And I think it's 9.3, but I'm sorry, 9.13. 
other people are going to give glory to God because of you. The way that you live, the way that you serve, the, the words that you speak. Not only will God share his glory in transforming us, but this wonderful news, other people are going to give glory to God because of how the church lives. It's a great word this morning. Yes, we come to this table understanding our desperate need for God. I love what Wesley even said. Somebody argued with him in his journal. He wrote it down. They had said, you think you're, West, you're Methodists are so perfect and holy. And he said, I affirm just the opposite. That every Methodist who comes to this holy table, he said, they come trusting not in their own righteousness, but in God's manifold and great mercies. And so we come this morning trusting in that. Uh, not for our glory, but for his. Not for, as Wesley says, as Paul says, Paul says it in chapter 12, 20, not, not being people who are takers or selfish, or as John Wesley would say, one of the great impediments to our faith, and even his mom even says that, one of the great impediments to our faith is self-will. I, I, I want to, Father, at this table, let me bury my will, but let me receive from the one who said, not my will, but yours be done. The one who, as hard as it can be to surrender our will, let's receive from the one who surrendered all for us. As we come to this table today, this altar rail, maybe we're going to make new commitments in our giving because we're celebrating the one who gave all for us. And so we come to this table hearing this invitation that Christ makes, this invitation that Christ makes to all he invites to this table those who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. We remember that on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, broke bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.